too many movies. I watch too much TV. I have too many kids. And now, we're doing a podcast. The Discerning Geeks Portal. Welcome everyone to the Discerning Geeks Portal, where we take a discerning look into all things geek. Again, I'm David, and I'm joined with my best friends, David. Hey, Dave. No. <laughs> and Todd. Good hey. afternoon. Uh, this this whole podcasting thing is becoming a thing now, isn't it? It is. It is. What? Isn't episode six. We have made it to episode six. We're doing what now? Nobody. Are we getting paid? Uh, no. I'm out. <laughs> I got better things to do. I don't know what, but as soon as I figure them out, I'll let you know. As always, um, with our podcast, of course, this episode will contain spoilers. Um, so for those yeah. not looking for spoilers, you may want to look elsewhere. Um, but without, um, with that being said, I will throw it over to Todd, who has our introduction to this week's episode. Todd, what are we talking about this week? Uh, well, you know, last week we did a TV topic, which is really cool, but we're back to movie reviews, and this week's movie is Sneakers. A group of professional hackers and security testers gets recruited to apprehend a mysterious electronic black box with the ability to reveal too many secrets. Sneakers stars Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, Mary McDonald, River Phoenix, Sidney Poitier, David Strathairn, Timothy Busfield, Eddie Jones, and Stephen Tobolowski. It was released on September 11th, 1992, with a rating of PG-13, and was directed by Phil Alden Robinson. That's kind of a bad date. I mean, yeah, just saying. Well, yeah, but yeah, it wasn't yet at that time. But, true, true, yeah. but it's, I didn't realize that until you said it, and I was like, ooh. Maybe we shouldn't have mentioned that. Uh, well, yeah, it's hard to believe that this movie is that old, though. I mean, think about it. Mary McDonald's is in this. It was, what, approximately a decade before she went from this to being uh, President Roslin in Battlestar Galactica. And it's probably been approximately a decade since that went off the air, if not more. Crazy. This is another one of those films, like we mentioned before, where it's an outsider film. I don't know if you've if you've listened to our other our earlier podcast, but I mentioned how the one of the particular films that we watched was like The Outsiders, in which there were so many famous people in it after the fact. This is the same deal. You have some big names in this. If you've never seen some of these actors, you should you should watch this film uh, because most of them sadly are no longer with us. But this was definitely another one of those films that had a, just a almost every person in it went on to bigger and better things after doing it. it. It's, it's just one of those fun films where you watch it and you go, wow, I remember them. And I remember them. And I remember them. This was probably one of the bigger things, maybe early on for Steven Tobolowsky. I could be totally wrong on that. I, I, I didn't look up his, his, uh, uh, what do you call it? His list of movies, uh, his filmography on IMDb. But um, he's a character actor, so I'm sure he's been in a whole lot of things. But I think this was the first time he was on my radar. Probably the same thing for Mary McDonnell. Uh, also, David Strathairn. So, yeah, there are a few names in there. But there again, there were some big ones like Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, uh, Robert Redford. So there were definitely some big veterans in there, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, and Cindy Poitier. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, please mention Sydney. That is a, that is a, that is, if before Denzel, there was Sydney. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> and, and before we started podcasting tonight, I did look up to make sure I was pronouncing his name correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think that. I'm pronouncing correctly or at least close. Portier. Yeah. Yeah. Portier. yeah it's, yeah. it's, uh, he was, oh, I'm not sure if I'm correct about this, but I believe he, it's not that he was French, but where he grew up was like, French Guiana or something along those lines, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and the, that's reason. It looks like pointier if you if you're just English and you've never actually like read it, but it's actually pointier. Just one of those little things that we like to ramble about here at the portal. This was an interesting movie. I wasn't sure how well this movie would hold up to today's standards because you're doing a you know cybersecurity film. Yeah, and, and we how long ago was this, Todd? I mean, uh, 92, so we're talking 28 years. So, over, so almost over 30 years. I was going to say 30, but it wasn't not quite 30 years. And cybersecurity is a lot different than it was then and is even a, a bigger deal now. Um, but this was a really neat premise, the, the, the fact that you have this team of, of, of almost misfits in a way that does this cybersecurity. It starts off with them, you know, breaking into a bank and transferring funds and being able to to show the weakness in the bank cybersecurity. And this is their job. They're not there to steal it. They're just there to show the weakness and to help the these companies have better cybersecurity. And then they get, of course, wrapped up in this big plot and have to use their skills uh, to uh, to get out of it. Um, I wasn't sure if it would hold up, but I got to tell you, it was still very entertaining. I mean, there's a few things I'm sure some people are like, what's an answering machine? Um, <laughs> I didn't thought know, about for, that, but you're right. There's, there's, there's probably some young that... people that are like, what, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> you talk about how old it is and how quaint it is and whether it holds up. You're right. It does hold up mostly because of the whole cybersecurity thing. I mean, that's even more relevant now with the internet. Cybersecurity is always going to be with us. So this whole time that I was, I was watching, I was thinking, could this be remade today? And if so, they would obviously have to redo the parts that you were just talking about. Like the, the black box was in an answer machine box. And if you notice, it wasn't just one of those mini ones with the little mini tapes that are only about an inch and a half uh, long. No, it, it was, was old school the, cassette. Yeah, full-size cassette, one cassette for the outgoing recording and one for the incoming recording. And it was, you know, super thick and everything. So it also had the uh, the big box monitors, no flat screens, no cell phones. The only mobile phone in the movie is a car phone that is actually corded. So it's actually connected to the yeah. car. One of the yeah. old schools that a lot of hipsters now will look for if they have too much money because they want it just for its nostalgia. The the uh, old huge big box battery phone type thing. I don't know why it's a thing now, but evidently if you got money, that's what a lot of people want for their cell phone is that huge old box with the cord phone on it. Or I don't know why people are weird. Uh, and in accordance with what what you guys are saying with with its holding up, I think it is interesting that at one point when the villain kind of does his villain monologue about why he's doing what he's doing, it is interesting that when you pay attention to it, you realize that he's actually predicting the future. Most of the problems that we have now in cybersecurity and what the kind of power of the world is, is exactly what this villain in this movie said it was going to be. 
so I don't know if this is one of those where it was kind of predicting the future or not, but it, it did a really good job. It does hold up very well. Say that in a way it does predict the future. I think there are still now groups that try to do what these guys start off the movie doing. You know, they're hacking into different organizations and trying to steal their money to give them to charities and and you know we have currently i forget the name of the the really popular one you know the internet um secured oh shoot the the people that are trying to the hackers that uh, constantly are like oh you know we're against this person so we're going to do everything that we can to hack you, in and you mean anonymous anonymous thank you i cannot remember their name good lord uh, that's all we need like those guys hacking us thank you very much thanks dave appreciate it oh yeah yeah now we're doomed i will <laughs> i will no longer be on the internet ever again <laughs> i'm out i'm gonna throw every computer i have in the trash and just gonna walk on but you know that that's some of what they do that's what they you know are trying to do uh so i think in many ways it it does hold up a lot of what these guys are setting out to do and they're um their their attempts to kind of rectify some of the evils in this world and follow the money is to use this cyber platform to even the play and field and and to get into things but then like many movies it also shows you how dangerous it can be uh, as far as what they're having to deal with and trying to sneak into this building at the end to get the black box back after they've been tricked it's a, it was a good movie I, I i was surprised at how well it held up the the acting is phenomenal of course with the names like um like we've already talked about all these actors um and it's interesting because for some of us they all look very young even robert redford he wasn't super young at this time um was was younger than what we've seen him in a lot in a long time and River Phoenix. Uh, so it was a good movie. It was a good movie. What else did you guys like about it? Oh, there was a lot of enjoyable things about this. Um, another very heavy character driven because the technology of the time does not really allow you to do a very awesome cyber type security type film like you can do nowadays with graphics, et cetera, and so forth, because it was done. What was it? 92. Is that what you said? So it's it's one of those where it is heavily character driven again, and you have such a great cast of people that can do that. They did a very good job, I think, on explaining it, the backgrounds of all the sneakers about how they're all kind of the misfit slash they're all criminals, basically, except for like one of them who was kind of like the guy that caught all of them. And he decided to bring them together with this idea to do this sort of security with uh Robert Redford's character being at the head who has his own past and has hidden it, which is the point of the, which is kind of the point of the film. Somebody finds out about his past and they initially present themselves as being for the good people, so to speak. And then later is NSA. Yeah. Yeah. NSA. And, and they're, they're, they're the good guys and they want these guys that can do this a lot easier and a lot quicker to do it for the NSA to kind of save the people. And they'll expunge their records and that kind of thing. You know, it's like, oh, that. And then, of course, as most great stories go from the 80s and 90s, they get backstabbed. And you realize they're really working for the bad people because they find out, like, they get this thing and then they find out what it actually does. And they're like, oh, crap. And they don't want to give it up. And mayhem ensues. 
Dan Aykroyd plays basically the conspiracy theorist out of the whole group. And <laughs> he's the one that continues to uh, talk about how like the moon landing didn't exist and, and how there's an alien that walks around here and there. And the city Poitiers uh, character plays a guy from the CIA. So naturally Dan Aykroyd constantly keeps hounding and asking him, so were you still with the agency and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, do you know that there's pictures of, you know, JFK walking around in, in, in the back lot of, of a film studio or, you know, just random stuff. I don't think he actually said that in the movie, but you understand it's just random. And Sidney Poitier's character is just like, I'm going to kill him. You know, I'm just, I'm seriously, I can't talk to this man. And they do just such a great job of it. River Phoenix plays this kid who is very young, very sharp, but has no world experience whatsoever. He does such a wonderful job on being that kind of young kid who was smart enough to be able to like hack the school and change his grades to where he didn't have to go and got in trouble for it, but also has no idea how to talk to a woman, has no idea whether he should be brave or not be brave. And Robert Redford kind of playing that father figure to him. Uh, you have uh, Sidney Poitier's character who is that guy that kind of, you get the feeling that he left because he knew what was right and wrong and wasn't going to compromise himself on doing right or wrong. And luckily was, he got out before things got shady and went his own way. And then you have Robert Redford's character who has this past and has been trying to hide it. And yet he himself also knows that there is a right way to fight the, the system. And then there's a wrong way to fight the system. And each one of them has their own little thing. that all just kind of meshes together. And then with the, with the villain, don't forget Whistler, though. Yeah, you have the guy who's deaf. Yeah, Whistler is he's 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 blind. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's blind. I said deaf. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. he's blind. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been even harder. <laughs> I, I would like to. Yeah, I would like to apologize for my friend because if you watch this movie and you're like, he's deaf, right? A lot of the things he's doing don't make sense because he's usually listening on headphones. But anyway, moving on. Yeah, he's blind. Um, which I'm sure Todd has a favorite scene. That's also my favorite scene, but I'm going to let Todd talk about it because I just know he loves the scene that the, the blind guy gets to do. Um, oh yeah. But uh, who's, who's, he's just a whiz because he's, his senses are heightened around his ears. And so he's able to actually kind of like, not necessarily have to look at what wire is right. He just knows what the sound is of certain information or phone lines and that kind of thing. And I know that's kind of a stretch because you wouldn't think that that's possible, but yet I think it is probable that if you actually hooked a speaker up to a, say, a, a wire that didn't have anything running through it, no electricity and no nothing, I bet you anything, the, the sound coming from it would just, if it's anything, would sound just whatever. But if you put electricity or, or maybe uh, computer noises or whatever through that line, I bet it would make actually a different sound. So I may be wrong. But anyway, th they do such a good job of meshing. And the villain, Ben Kingsley, who plays the villain does such a great job of owning the past and the present of their character that all of them, all these characters mesh together. And you could very easily tell the characters that are outside of it. In other words, we're just using this guy to get to where we need to go, or we're just talking to this person to get to where we need to go, because you can tell that these characters do not mesh with this core group that the whole conflict is around. Because once you get that core group of the conflict around, Oh, the it, it it just feels like it could happen because these people all came together and knew each other. And even the villains are almost like 
buddies. It's really an interesting film in my film, in my in my view, of that kind of camaraderie that comes through, even between the good and the bad, because the good is not so far from the bad, and the bad is not so far no not so far from the good. It's just two different paths. And that's really what I think. And I really want Todd to talk about his favorite scene. <laughs> I might get to that later, but to expand a little bit on what you're talking about, you know, you mentioned the personalities of the characters, their backgrounds, uh, some of the funny things they might say or do. In addition to that, I love how skilled everyone is. I, I like movies where the characters really know what they're doing. They're kind of experts at their field. And it was just really enjoyable to, to watch everybody do really good work. You also mentioned how they kind of mesh well together. Their skills really complement each other uh, pretty well, too. So it was neat to see that chemistry, not just in terms of personality, but in terms of their capabilities. It was. It was. It was neat to have this team, and each team had their special speciality. Um, and then the actors played those specialities just perfectly. Uh, I, there's a scene that comes to mind when they've having a party and they've won, they've got the black box and there's a group of them playing Scrabble. And then there's a couple of them messing on the computer and they're both doing their own thing. And they start messing on the computer with this black box to see what it does. And the Scrabble people stop, start deciphering this, um, sea tech astronomy because they think it means something else. And, it's very cool that they're doing their own thing and the, the groups are formed and yet there's this intensity around the whole situation and everybody's doing what they're supposed to do at that time. And it's a very small scene, but it, I think that kind of illustrates what you're talking about with these characters and, and how they're able to, to take on these roles as they're doing it. Uh, I think that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, because you've got uh, the two geeks and then Carl, who kind of does a little bit of the manual labor. Bishop is kind of the face of the group. But then Kreese, the ex-CIA guy, you can tell that he's basically there to be paranoid, to tell them, OK, guys, we're we're in deep crap. We need to we need to lock down. We need to get out of here. He, he's he's the security. When they figure out just what this black box will do, he's the one that kind of reacts the most from it and realizes oh we're we're in trouble and they did do a good job bringing in the other characters as well um you know liz the the love interest uh for robert redford character does a really good job and 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 they bring her in and she's able to kind of play a role uh, and even a very critical role because at one point they need her to uh, help infiltrate and get close to this very nerdy person. And uh, of course they're part of their getting to know as much as they can about this person, their intel. They've actually got his garbage and he's folded all of his garbage neatly. And, and she looks at this and is like, you know, hey, this guy, this is what he's interested in. Um, you know, he's interested in a girl who's very meticulous, very this, very anal. And they all just kind of look at her like, okay, you're the only one we know that's going to be able to pull this off. Um, so I liked her character as well uh, and fitting into that role and being able to to play that part. Um, was there any other big parts that uh, you guys want to discuss about this movie? 
I don't know about big parts, but I have a few uh, follow-up items. You mentioned the folded up uh, cardboard items and the garbage. We were talking a while ago about things that make this film a little bit dated. I, I don't know how environmentally conscious we were in 1992. Uh, I can't help but but think that the some of the items that he had in his trash, like the folded up cereal boxes and the paper items, nowadays those would be things that you would put in a recycling bin. So if the if that movie were made today, they would have to take both his trash and his recyclables. But I just thought that was a, another another thing that ca- did kind of date the movie a little bit. And I mentioned how I loved how everybody is so skilled, and you brought in the part about Liz. Uh, I love how the thing that gives all this away to Cosmo, that there is uh, a scheme against him, that that Marty is trying to sneak into the building to to steal the black box, is the moment that Liz brings up, oh, I'm never going to do computer dating again. And Cosmo, you know, he <laughs> is, it's almost like a religion to him. He has so much faith in computers, he says, a computer matched him with her, and that's it. He he's got he's like Marty's in the building. Uh, so he is also good at what he does. Like I said, it's almost like a religion to him. So it's more like a, a faith than a skill. There's a lot of really good writing in this, in which a lot of the enjoyable things are subtle. And to yeah. me, that makes a film really really good. In which you watch it and you have fun with it. But Sneakers is also one of those great films that that all three of us, I think, if I can correctly say, do really enjoy. Because if we ever decide, you know what, I'm going to watch Sneakers tonight, and we just sit down and watch it, we'll we'll pick up something else. We'll be like, oh, I totally didn't even remember or realize that they had said that. And it just makes it more fun for us because, you know, you forget things. Like I was telling the guys today, I, I watched it, and I remember all the big stuff. But if you actually ask me what happens between like this point and this point, I don't know why. It just goes out of my head. But yet when I watch it, I still have fun with it. Like I'm watching it for the first time because there's just so much great small little dialogue that's going on that to me pushes the film forward completely and awesome, always going toward the end gold. But it's fun because there seems to be – it captures that great moment of – with them all being together, you do get the idea they've been together for a very long time. You know, a lot of people talk about Ghostbusters and about how, like, all three of the guys, Dan Aykroyd character, Bill Murray, uh, uh, the rest of them, they're, they they have this camaraderie that helps the, com- the com- comedic aspect of it and how it just feels like they've known each other forever. And that even um, Winston's character, when he, when he comes in and gets hired, it still makes sense because Winston's the guy that's just like, I'm looking for a paycheck. You know, but that he melds with the group so easy that it it just does the, a great job of it. And Sneakers is that same way in which you can tell that the, that the villain and the guys he works with have been together for a long time. And there's a camaraderie there. And the, the good guys and, and them have been together for so long that when you hear Dan Aykroyd giving the, the CIA guy heck over all the conspiracy theories that he has, that you know that the guys, when he acts exasperated at it, it comes through as being he has to deal with that on a daily basis. You know, that kind of thing. Um, the fact that Whistler's character is kind of the peacemaker, you know, or the I'm just going with the flow, man, um, just does such a wonderful job of it. Favorite scenes. I have to get into this. 
Uh, I'm I'm gonna try my best not to mention the one that I know Todd wants to talk about because I know he loves it as much I, as I, I do. I'm I'm fine with you. now. I I actually have some of the dialogue for that if it, if we're talking about the same scene, so I can I, actually it, we can recreate it if we had to. I don't know if I can remember it, but it, let's just say that it involves a truck, and it involves a we have to get out of this building, and it involves one character distracting security, and another character having to drive a truck, who's never drove. Nor can he drive legally, being told how to drive, drive to pick up the people escaping the building, and there's a slight hill and a quick stop. And so, it's Todd, give us the give us the play by play on this because I know you got some quotes because uh... because of uh, some security guys coming out and uh, dealing with Crease and Dan Aykroyd's character, Whistler is the only one still in the truck. So when they need a getaway, he's the only one that can drive. And as we've already established, he's blind. So he can't see. So over the comms, Bishop is giving him instructions. And so he's mixing up right and left. Uh, Whistler is is hitting cars. And then at some point, Bishop says, now you're going to go down a very gentle slope. And he says, okay, fine, great, no problem. Whoa! The camera angle then immediately drops into like a 45-degree angle, and you watch the truck just go down this like, I don't know what you It has to be like a 10-foot, like 45-degree drop just right down to the next part of the parking lot. And it's, yeah, anyway, sorry. And then Bishop says, five more seconds and stop. And then about two or three seconds later, Whistle literally runs into the wall. And it's weird. It's almost like he's in neutral or something, because after he hits the wall, he actually bounces back about 20, 30 feet. Well, and to, then he just says, I think I'll stop right here. To, to clarify, uh, they're, they're like behind the building because they've parked behind the building. He's actually driving toward the truck loading docks. Now, if you've ever yeah. been in the building or something like that, you'll see a truck loading dock. And if you ever take the time, if you don't know this, walk back there. And nine times out of ten, what you'll see is you'll see like a safety bumper. It's usually just rubber, a couple of brackets, and just cut up tire. Seriously, it is just cut up tire, just just layered in there to provide a bumper between a big truck backing in and the wall. And that's basically what he hits. That's the reason he bounces back. Because if he hits it at about 10 or 15 miles an hour, which is what he's doing, he would literally bounce off of this rubber back a little bit. And so when he goes, I think I'll just stop right here. Yeah, he's going to. I noticed that, and I figured that's why he bounced. But if he's still got it in drive as if he's going forward, you think he would bounce and then continue going forward again and then maybe bounce again and well, uh, until he actually stopped. But no, he bounced and then just kept rolling back. Well, you have to assume that that uh, I'm sure when they filmed it, it was in neutral. But yeah. uh, probably, if you do think about it, when he hit, probably his foot and everything came off the gas and all that. And who knows? Maybe yeah, maybe, maybe maybe he hit had hit the brake or popped it into reverse and didn't even realize it. You know that kind of thing. So and even with the rubber bumper, he hits it hard enough that his earphones fall yeah. off and everything. So, yeah, it, off. It, it's definitely a, a a funny scene, but um, it's a hilarious scene. Uh, there's another good one where it's done so well because you know that River Phoenix's character has been with Bish when they're breaking into the building. But Bish is really the one that's going in and infiltrating and doing having to get past all the security to get the box. You kind of forget about River Phoenix being there because you don't actually see him enter the building, if I remember correctly. At one point, they get into trouble. They're actually, the guards have them. And Bish's character, Robert Redford's character, is like, now. And everybody's like, what? What do you mean now? You know? And even the villain guy's like, 
dang right now. And he's like, now? And then suddenly you see River Phoenix, who has evidently entered the building because all this is going on and everybody has forgotten about him, up in the ceiling. And he's just like, ah! And like jumps through the ceiling and like tackles the, the villain guy and they get away that way. To me, that's also a funny character too because Robert Renford's character has to keep telling him now and says something like now three times before finally the kid jumps through the ceiling. And of course, they're like, what kept you? He goes, that's not easy what I just did. You know, it's just funny. It's just fun scenes a lot in this film. Another really good one. Robert Redford's character at one point gets kidnapped, basically, to be taken to the guy in charge. And so they kind of like throw him in a trunk. And this is a great scene. It's a great, great scene where he gets away because they're not trying to kill him. They're trying to convince him to either leave it alone or he needs to do this. And so they're trying to find out where they took him. And so Whistler's listening on the radio as they're, they've got a, a mic coming, kind of stuck out the, out the truck, and they're driving around. And they're like, so you heard, what did you hear? And he's like, well, I heard bumps. And they knew it was the bumps in the road. And so Whistler figures out the, the rate of the bumps as he's remembering, because that's all he could do would, to, to, was to listen. And they figure out what highway it is based on the bumps about how many intervals it was between the tires hitting these bumps. And then they go, then what happened? He goes, well, there was two hard bumps. And Dan Aykroyd's character is looking at the map, and he's like, there's a railroad right here. Because he said, yeah, I felt like we slowed down and we turned, and then I felt two bumps. And so they turn down this one road and go across the railroad tracks, and they're, they're, they're like, yeah, that felt right. And then he goes, then what did you hear? And the guy goes, a cocktail party. And they went, what? They're like, they're they're trying to figure out what it is, and it ends up that you realize that they go past like a dam or a water reservoir, and all these flamingos, I believe it was, are out there, and they're all making noise. And it's one of those where if you did really kind of close your eyes and listen, it sounds like a huge cocktail party of all these birds just talking to each other. It's it's a great great scene, and that's how they end up finding the evil lair, so to speak, because the blind man teaches the guy that could see how to be blind. It's awesome. Yeah, that was actually one of my favorite scenes. Um, I did enjoy the the scene where River River Phoenix has to jump through the roof, and I, I like the reality of that. Right, so many so often in an action movie, it's you know everybody just does it, and and they're not even thinking about the consequences, and you just have these these almost superhero type moments. Uh, it was great that River Phoenix character was sitting there thinking about it, and it's like. You know, that's not easy jumping through a ceiling and falling 10 feet on top of a guy, you know. Who has a shotgun. He's not not armed. (laughs) That's pretty hard. So, uh, you're standing right beside of another thug with another gun. (laughs) So it was a a great scene and and very realistic. Um, And of course, yeah, the the, probably one of the best scenes in the whole movie is Whistler um, driving the, the truck. That's just. Uh, a fun scene and 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 really cool, um, but yeah, they're, they're, this was a good movie. I, I kind of thought, interestingly enough, the movie could have almost been like a TV show in that it almost had segments. Ooh, you know, yeah. there was there was like segments where you have the initial like um, heist or them breaking into the bank and kind of showing what they do, and then they have the um, the scene where they are stealing the box and that's like a whole separate scene. And then you have the interactions where the, the, the other, the bad guys steal it from them. And, and so it's, it's very 
segmented in a way and each one of them stands pretty well on its own and i just found that interesting as i was watching the movie that that was the case well i noticed something too uh that might be similar to that and first you bring up a really good point about it, it being a tv show you know I, i've mentioned the question about would it make a good remake a tv show would probably be better but one thing i noticed this time around is that most of our favorite scenes are toward the end they're the more philosophical scenes because they're they're the scenes with Cosmo talking about stuff that, like we've already said, kind of predicts the future in a way. Then they're the action-packed scenes, uh, the comedic scenes. A, a lot of those are packed toward the end. Really, the first half hour of this movie almost is a lot of setup. And even beyond that, it, I think it was around the 28th or 29th minute, they started to get a little bit funny. But there's still a, a lot of setup in the beginning, and it takes a while for the movie to get going. But it really pays off because once we do get all of those scenes at the end, it's because we know the characters, we know what they're capable of, we know what the risk is. And it just it took us a while to get there, but it was it was worth it because of the payoff in the end. Yeah, I agree. There there was a lot of plot exposition exposition. Say that right. Uh, in the very beginning, but it was needed uh, because the payoff does work very, very well. Luckily, a lot of the things that we've spoken about, about the camaraderie and the ability of the, of the actors to to bring forth that very good buddy-type feel that you have for this group, uh, starts at the very beginning. And I do actually enjoy the very first scene, which is them doing showing what they're doing. And actually, oddly enough, I actually appreciate and really enjoy the scene that happens really right after that, which is when the first fake NSA guys come to offer Robert Redford's uh, team to get what they want, because Robert Redford's not a fool. You can see him already having doubts as soon as they say they're part of the NSA of what's going on. And they have all these files on everybody except for him because they actually make a point of going. And then, you know, Mr. Bishop, who yeah. evidently doesn't exist. They show at the end because you have like the bad cop and the good cop type thing going on. And the good cop's like, look, 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 we're not trying to cause any problems. You know, if you want to talk about it, just give us a call. And he writes, he writes down on this piece of paper, he goes, here's our number and leaves. And when he does, Robert Redford looks, looks at the number and then he opens up the piece of paper and it's the old wanted ad or, or the old wanted poster. It's a copy of a wanted poster for who he actually is. And you, there's actually a, the very first scene shows him as a young man. They're, they're hacking computers and, giving like money back in the seventies to people that, you know, no, there's, he's being a bad boy. And the only thing that saved him was he went to go get pizza and the cops didn't find him because they didn't know he was there. And the other, other guy kept his mouth shut, which sets up the whole thing from the beginning. I love that scene at the very beginning where they are robbing or breaking into the bank and the, uh, River Phoenix character goes and vaults over the counter and Robert Redford's character kind of goes like he's going to try it too and just completely wipes out and falls. Mm -hmm. and, and then um, uh, Kreese, the, the other character, just kind of walks around and he's yeah. like, yeah, I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah. yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, that was a laugh out loud moment. Yeah, yeah. River, I forgot about that, but I don't know what you're talking about. River Phoenix looks like cat burglar he's yeah. dressed all in black and he's rubbing like he's rubbing like the old like you know military style blackout paint like yeah. all over his face to to you know so nobody can see him and then up walks the cia guy and robert redford's character and they're just dressed normal 
and, no. they're, and, and they don't say anything to him, but you can tell they're looking at him. They're just like, okay, whatever. And just keep on going. And then there is another scene where they, they bust through the fire exit door. So the fire alarm goes off and they've got it all set up to, to get past it. And yeah, like River Phoenix like jumps over the, over the counter and Robert Redford's right behind him and he just face plants. And then, yeah, the uh, city Portier, Portier's character just walks around it and is like, I'm just getting too old for this. And you realize it, it sets up, it, it does a really good job of setting up what I keep saying, which is that buddy thing. Um, but I do think that Todd's correct, that there is, if it had a few problems, th- there is a lot of plot exposition that you have to kind of get through. But luckily, it's not boring. There's a lot of them that, there's a lot of movies that do it so you can enjoy it. And they do get enjoyable and you have to just kind of suffer through it. But sneakers isn't necessarily so bad in the plot exposition and explaining everything that it that it seems that it kind of bores you out. I do think the movie slows down a little bit when they're chasing down getting the card and the voice verification with the whole dating thing and bringing in mm-hmm. Robert Redford's uh, girlfriend. But yet, even then, that's one of those where you just kind of have to suffer through it to get to the good stuff. Because once they get past that, she becomes just a great straight person like uh, a straight man uh, i don't know if you if you understand yeah. comedy at all but there's there's a thing called a straight man and the straight man is the guy that doesn't react to anything they're they're just like it's not funny and or they're they're just completely like why are we here you know it's why why are you why are we why are we running toward the fire why aren't we running away from the fire that's the kind of character she plays but it, she becomes enjoyable because she does bring forth more to me in the comedic aspect of it and the funny parts by being that what are you doing why are you here that kind of thing but as far as a lot of bad stuff i can think of in this film i'm gonna have to rely on you guys because i can't really remember too many parts of this film that i thought were just but maybe you guys saw something i didn't i think you touched on it a little bit and we've talked about it as a key aspect to a great film I don't say that this is not a good film, but I think there was a little bit of a pacing problem. Um, It wasn't like superly paced. I think there were a few slower parts that that kind of drug just a little bit um, for me. But overall, I mean, it it was a lot of fun. So that that was kind of my biggest complaint was just a little bit in the pacing. Um, That and I feel like they underutilized Dan Aykroyd a little bit. I mean, you have a comedic brilliance in Dan Aykroyd. He was probably one of the least funny characters in the movie. Um, and that just seems to me like they kind of almost like a missed opportunity. They, they, they think he could have been used better. He had some good lines and he wasn't, I mean, he's Dan Aykroyd, so he's great. But it just wasn't filled with him. Um, most of the other people, I think, kind of shined a little bit brighter in this film than he did. Uh, those are probably my two big kind of misses on this one. Todd, what you got? I've got kind of three nitpicks. Uh, and one has to do with Mary McDonald's character, Liz, that you've already talked about. And yes, she did play a crucial role, but she counts as one of my nitpicks because I think she had the disadvantage of playing the girl in the movie. Uh, our team consists of a face, an ex-gov, and three geeks, but they're all male. And they have to bring in Liz when they have to try to break into this building and the way they're going to do that is for is to have somebody to date the guy that's in the office next to, next to cosmos and so of course then they have to recruit a girl and she just happens to be the the only one around and so she's kind of brought in for 
this fake dating thing and to use feminine wiles. And it feels a little bit stereotypical. I've mentioned several times the possibility of, you know, could this be a remake someday? And you brought up, could be a, could it be a TV, TV show? I'd like to think that if there were a modern retake of this, there would actually be women on the team, kind of like that TV show Leverage. It had three men and two women, uh, and the the two women were just as useful as the men were. That's a, a little bit of a nitpick. I guess it was like that because it was made in 1992. I'd like to think that a modern retake would uh, would do it differently. And then two really minor nitpicks. When we find out just how powerful this black box is, it's insinuated that it can break any code anywhere, and they even say any government on the planet would kill to get it. But then apparently at the end, there's this uh, different take on it that supposedly it can only break American codes. Bishop says something about how Greg, the, his Russian friend, said something about how it wouldn't work on Russian codes. And it made me think, OK, is that a contradiction in the movie where early on they're saying this can work on any code, but supposedly not all codes? And then I started to think, what is the difference between an American code and a Russian code? I thought the whole point of this decrypting device was that it used some kind of super magical mathematical algorithm to break any code. So what makes a Russian code that much different? Math is math. I, I, I just didn't get that. It seemed like a little minor contradiction in the movie. Oh, you mean the ending? Yeah. Uh, it's it's just an interesting twist in a, in a movie that had three of them. It, it was only generally stated that the black box could break any code. It, that that it should be able to hack anything because they attempt to hack some things that are supposedly not hackable, like uh, what was it the uh, like the FD like the flight information for planes and mm. also for like uh, what was it NORAD wasn't it they hacked NORAD? Um, I, and it, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I right, think one of them was the Treasury or something. Right, like that. the U.S. Department of Treasury, and then the other one was I oh, think. Oh no, Federal I'm, Reserve. Yeah, it. the Federal Reserve, which is basically the Treasury, and they had one for the electric company. And it's like these things were supposedly so super encrypted that if you you could ha you could hack them, but it would take you twenty years to decode the encryption to be able to know what you were looking at. And that was the idea was that this box could break the encryption based on mathematics that it could that it could do it as the show progresses i don't think it was ever actually mentioned that it was for espionage the it is implied because the people that are supposedly involved in this is with the nsa and blah 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 etc and so forth and then there's a twist at the end in which in order to get out of their trouble basically robert redford's character and this is a huge spoiler so don't listen stop right now robert redford in order to get out of this all this trouble because he's kind of trapped and hemmed in from all sides the, he needs a power that could break it so what he does is he does the one thing that he never wanted to do before in his life. He actually calls the NSA. He get he knows the number. He calls it. I think they actually hack to get to like the answering machine of like the head of the NSA. And he says his real name, knowing that they're going to know who this guy is because they've been looking for him for 20 years. And tells them what's going on and that if everything works out, he'll be able to trade this box for basically them getting him out of this crap. It ends up they do show up that somehow the message got through, and it's at the very end of the movie they've gotten the box. And it's played by, um, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I can't remember his name. James Earl Jones. Thank you, James Earl Jones, which is kind of funny because I got to thinking about it later and thought, hmm, that, that kind of ties in the whole Harrison Ford movies that were kind of going on at this time with like Patriot games and stuff. But anyway, moving on. And he gets out of it, and it's during this moment that Robert Redford's character 
says that it's interesting that they have discovered that this box isn't really designed to hack Russian codes, that it's only designed to hack American companies and information and goes back to the whole initial premise of the government trying to control somebody and find out what they need to need to find out about their own people as opposed to other people. It's another twist, but it's a subtle one because I think if I'm not mistaken, when you do watch it, you do get the idea that this is supposed to be able to hack anybody. Yet here at the end, it's tossed in upon itself to where, no, they're not really, they don't really care about the other countries. They care about their own people. And that's what they wanted to look at and ha hack and manipulate. So it adds a sinister level to it, but it also makes a very funny scene because they now have the government over a barrel and ask some of the craziest things yeah. for payment that you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> and like peace yeah. on earth and goodwill to your men. The U.S. government does not do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Robert Redford's like, well, you're going to have to try. And he goes, I'll do what I can. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the funniest quotes in the movie. Todd, did you have another little nitpick before we get to our lightning round? Yeah, one quick one that I never thought of until this viewing. We don't know what happens to Cosmo. This is true. Uh, yeah, we don't know if Bishop gets Mr. Abbott to go and get Cosmo. We don't know if Cosmo skates. We don't know if he goes underground. Does he go to prison? And Cosmo, he's not just a hacker or whatever he kind of implied that he was working for organized crime or somebody even worse than organized crime uh so he probably had bosses he had to answer to did they uh take any kind of revenge on him he was whether it was directly or indirectly guilty of murdering people he might have had henchmen do that but he still off some people he he had the mathematician killed he had the russian consular killed i mean he's got murder on his hands he should not be innocent. He should not be left let go. And that thread is just left hanging at the end of the movie. That is true. That is true. Well, we are out of time for this segment. So we're going to go right into our lightning round. Lift off and the clock has started. This is our sixth episode, so we're actually getting a little bit better at this. Um, but for we those are. of you who haven't... <laughs> um, maybe caught one of our podcasts before in our lightning round. We'll each have 30 seconds to say whatever we want about this film or anything in general or anything related to it. Then after that, we'll each give our rating for this film. And then we'll close with our preview for next week's episode. So does anyone want to go first in our 30 second lightning round this week? I'll do it. All right, okay. Mr. Dave. Okay, are you ready? Sure. Okay, go. Uh, I really enjoy this film, and I think it's really great, and I and it, you should watch it. The only thing that I have to say that if I had one other negative to say about it is this film is one of those films that for some reason at the very end kind of ruins their film themselves to me because they get political. And it's, to me, not really a true statement because I don't look at politics the way other people do. And so when I kind of see the very final scene, I'm kind of like, did you have to go there? And it gets a little annoying to me. But other than that, it's still good. Um, good job. Good job. Way to wrap it up right at 30 seconds. 
Todd, okay. did you want to go next or you want me to? I can. Okay. Here we go. And go. I love when Bishop is taking detailed instructions over the comms and it turns out all he has to do is just kick in the door. Uh, it, he They were trying to give him instructions on the keypad and it's just kicking the door. Uh, let me see. I love the Scrabble scene. Uh, I love all the con conversation between Bishop and Cosmo. Uh, I love this one moment that Greg, the Russian guy, says, uh, you must trust me, but as soon as he says it, he kind of shrinks into a shadow. Uh, it's kind of ominous, even though Greg ends up being a trustworthy guy. I love the first time uh, we hear Mr. Abbott, it's the voice of Darth Vader before we can see. <laughs> very good, very good. And I still that only leaves two, me. Two short quotes. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. All right, All right. that leaves me. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, I do. I love this movie. I think there was a lot of fun, a lot of good quotes, a lot of really good scenes. I'm with Dave. I was a little upset that we decided to go political in this one. And and it's the, hey, we can trust communists more than we can trust our own government. And sometimes I think that's a dangerous thing to just kind of throw out there. Um, but that's my political thread for the day. Uh, other than that, great movie, lots of fun. Whistler's character was definitely my favorite. Um, lots of scenes with him and, and all that he does. All right. Okay. So now we must rate this film. I guess I can start off since I went last in the lightning round. It's an enjoyable film. Lots and lots of great characters. It's definitely one you can sit back and watch. And it didn't, to me, lose any of its luster over time. It, I do think this could possibly be a fun one for someone to redo at some point in the future, especially with a good cast. And so I'm going to go ahead and give it a 7.5 out of 10. Nice. Todd, uh, uh, okay. you're up. What you got for us? All right. This is a, a very smart movie with enjoyable characters. I like the plot. As we've already mentioned, it could be ripe for a remake, either a new movie or a TV show. Maybe a little long, requiring quite a bit of setup at the beginning, but it's still ultimately worth it for the ending sequences. I give this a B plus. Mm-hmm. As far as if, if you've listened to all of our episodes, you, you understand that I don't do what the other two guys do. I, I, I pretty much base a lot of the movies that I see and enjoy on fun. And so if there is a ranking to what I usually say, I probably should explain it. There is pay full price. That means absolutely 100% top of the line. You know, it would be in the eight to the 10 range for Dave and it would be a plus to, you know, B plus to, for for Todd, that that's a that's a pay full price. Uh, a matinee is definitely still go see it. Get up off your butt, go enjoy a movie, uh, get out of the house. Uh, that's kind of your 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 upper mid range. Your very middle though is unfortunately what I've got to give this film, which is a Saturday movie, uh, in which you would be flipping through channels and if it was on, you'd stop and watch it. What makes it really really fun to see, which does not to me diminish it in any way. It just simply is not one that if it was actually in the theater, you should pay money to see anymore. But you should definitely stop and watch it, and you will stop and watch it because of all the things that we've mentioned. And so to me, it is a Saturday movie. You know, if I had to give it a number or, or a letter, you're, you're talking like six and a half, seven to, you know, C. And, and so that's, that's low for me, but my scale, of course, is based on fun watching, and almost everything that gets above Waste of Solenoid is a good film. So that's just me. I like it. Okay. I like it. So, what do you guys think we should talk about next week? Carlowns! <laughs> yes! Come on! Yes, say yes. Say yes. <laughs> you know you? Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Come on. Come on. Yes! Killer Clowns from Outer Space.
Give it to me, fellas. I can feel it. You're right there. You want to say yes? Do it. No. No, 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 no. Um, no. um uh, fine. Uh, you know, no, 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 no. I'm still going. Hush. If you're not going to do Killer Clowns, then I'm going to make you watch uh, Star Wars uh, Solo Story. <laughs> yeah. Solo. Yes. Okay. That's my I can suggestion. handle that. Not necessarily ranked high among the Star Wars films by most people. I will keep my mouth shut based on <laughs> we may choose it. Interesting, interesting. Solo, solo story. Um, last week we actually did a TV episode. I want to throw out another one. My absolute favorite all-time TV show for sci-fi, Fringe. I want to do Fringe. That's the name of it. You know, I've been trying to remember what the heck that series was that you guys made me watch and I totally fell in love with, and that was it. Fringe. I would love to do a review of season one of Fringe to see if wow. it holds up to my memory. And even though I watched that show, I think I missed about the first half of season one, maybe even more than that. So that's the one season I haven't seen a lot of. I, I, I do know that in its defense, if you watch it and you get hooked in any kind of way, you're going to watch all of it. <laughs> it's, it's, you just, <laughs> it's one of those where you're like, keep playing, keep playing, keep playing, must watch. It's four o'clock in the morning. Don't care. Must keep playing. I'm going to throw that one out there, a TV show. What you got for us, Todd? I am the TV guy, so I'd love to do TV, but we've been throwing out a lot of TV suggestions, and you just did one, so I guess I will do a movie. It's one that I was really impressed with the one time I've seen it, and I've been wanting an excuse to see it again. So I'm going to say The Adjustment Bureau. God, I forgot about that film. Oh, and it's another Matt Damon movie. A Matt Damon movie, yeah. We went and saw that, didn't we, Todd? No, I I don't think I saw it until I saw it at home. I've only seen it once. Why was I thinking I, we did go see that in the theater? Oh, well, we'll have to talk about that off, off camera. Oh, wait. Yeah, sadly, There's... I don't think I saw that one in the theater either. And that would be one that I think would actually lose, not lose a whole lot, but with some of the effects and everything, I could see it being even better seeing it in the theater. So it'd be kind of interesting to get an opportunity to see that one in the theater. Mm, yeah. Cool. All right. So that wraps us up for this week. Uh, if you guys will check us back, check back with us next week, find out which of the episodes or which of the suggestions we use for that episode. And as always, guys, continue to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, go to our website, email us. And, email, yeah. email your friends, email your parents. Spread the word, spread the word. Oh, and rate us. I don't know that we've mentioned that, but apparently that's big within the podcast world. So if you get a chance, give us a good rating on on your Apple podcast or wherever you listen so that uh, we move up the rankings and more people will notice us. Um, that's just kind of a selfish plug. What? No. But, but be gentle. We're just getting started. <laughs> I like it rough. Let's go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you again and have a wonderful week. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs> Hey guys, don't mess with that. Sure thing. Toggle Disc Spinner Care. What does it mean? Hey guys, does Toggle Disc Spinner Care mean anything? Maybe some device instructions? No. Nope. Never heard of it. Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, excuse me. Well, there goes the Scrabble game.
Guys, does Socrates rigged pin link mean anything? Is that a pin with an E or a pin with an I? Either way, no. How about send King Gryler to space? Who is King Gryler? I, I don't know. Uh, how about Dockers eating Pringles? No, but now I want Pringles. Do we have Pringles? Uh, how about Dong Scree Skating Peril? Now you're just making crap up. I'm trying to decrypt something with Scrabble tiles. Of course I'm making crap up. Wait a second. Wait a second. Got it. Discerning Geek's Portal. Cute. Try Discerning Geek's Portal. Whoa. Yeah, this is something. So it's a podcast. They're doing movie and TV reviews. They might cover sci-fi and fantasy books and other geeky things in the future. They're just getting started, but there's no telling what they might do next. So they're on Facebook at Discerning Geeks Portal and on Twitter at Discerning Geeks. Email address is discerninggeeks at gmail.com. Want to crash your email? Wait, we're actually getting incoming data from them in audio form. Play it. Be well. Beware of too many secrets and continue enjoying whatever makes you a discerning geek. All right, that's it. Shut it down. Shut it down. Mm.